Happy Father's Day to all of our fathers out there. Welcome to Thorn Creek Church. My name is Jeremy. I'm the online pastor here at Thorn Creek, and I'm so grateful that I get to bring this message today. You know, Pastor Ruben pours into us as a staff, and it supports our callings and gives us these opportunities. So I'm just very thankful that I, that I have this opportunity, this chance to bring God's word today. We are in our series called The People's Hallelujah. We're looking at worship and what it looks like to worship. We're going through the book of Psalms and learning how we worship through various different things. And one of the really neat things that we're doing during this series is that we are writing songs. You are participating and our worship team is writing songs. In fact, you guys have you've already helped with some submissions. Keep watching your email. I've got another one scheduled to go out Monday morning. We need your help. We want your words, your poems, your thoughts, your stories. And our worship team is taking all of those words, all of those things and making songs for us to sing as a church in worship here at Thorn Creek Church. So be a part of that. And so one thing that we're doing today that's really exciting. I'm glad I get to introduce this. This is our first song that our team has put together. Now, this is not a song based off of praise or Jesus that you have submitted, but this is a first song that our worship team worked through together. This was an opportunity for them to just kind of get through the process and figure out how to write a song together. And um, oftentimes we thought, hey, this might just be a throwaway song. This may just be something we do and nobody ever gets to see it and we learn this process, but it is an amazing song. It's called Even When. And so you get to hear it for the first time tonight. And to introduce it, I want to introduce you to Zach. He's going to tell you a little bit about this song. Uh, this song comes from a, <clears throat> a personal place in my life. It comes from a struggle. Um, I was going through dark thoughts. I was going through thoughts of loneliness, thoughts of insignificance, thoughts that I didn't matter. I knew these thoughts weren't from the Lord. And so I went to him in prayer. I said, God, I'm feeling this. God, I'm in pain. God, I'm lonely. And the Lord spoke to me. He stopped me right there and said, even when you're hurting, even when you feel like you don't matter, I still died for you. The Lord Jesus loves you. He thought about me when he was hanging on that cross. He's the God of love. He's the God who knows your name. He's the God who knew you before you were born from your mother's womb. He loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. And you are worthy to God. You matter to God. You are his child. Let's worship tonight.
the God who knows my the God who takes my
Jesus, we come before you tonight and we thank you. Oh, God, thank you. Even when we're far and away, even when we're fearful, even when we're hurting, God, you are there. You are our God who gives us strength. You're the God who died for us on the cross. Thank you, Jesus. We come before you and we just worship we worship your holy name, God. I thank you for this evening. I thank you for this time that we have. God, would you come and just continue to be here with us, walk among us, speak to our hearts, God, as we dig into your word. Lord, I pray that you would just set me aside. God, would you just give me your words to speak? God, give me your words to speak. Oh, we love you so much. We love you so much. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, you guys can have a seat. Give it up as well as you're sitting down for our worship team. Wasn't that amazing? Amazing. Hey, welcome to our online attenders. Uh, I just want to give a big shout out to you. Say hello in the chat. Uh, I want to talk about today, you know, we're, we're talking about when I feel exhausted. And uh, I thought I'd share a time when I was exhausted. This last October, I had uh, the, the, the benefit, the, the opportunity uh, to go hunting. And uh, I, I got my first mule deer here in Colorado. And it was really awesome. It was a solo hunt. Did it all by myself. I was out there. And um, it was really exciting. And it started in the morning, like most of my hunts do, right you know, before sun, the sun even came up. And so I'm out there hiking, and I'm looking around, and I see some deer uh, and so I kind of try to go after them and then they run off I lose them and so I end up kind of on this this mountain this hill and I'm glassing all morning all afternoon I'm using my binoculars and I'm looking for deer and around two o'clock, I see these deer kind of pop out from their bed and they're feeding and uh, one of them gets spooked and just freaks out, runs one way. And I'm like, okay. And then another one just kind of moseyed off. I'm like, okay, these guys are going to, going to take off. I'm not going to have an opportunity, but two of them just hung around and they're just, they're just eating. And so I'm like, this is my opportunity. And they're, they're about 900 yards away from me. And so I realize like, I need to get closer. I can't make that kind of shot. And so, uh, thankfully the, uh, the ground, the, the earth was, was such that I could come down and they wouldn't see me and I'd pop up right on this little knob and I'd be able to have a, a shot. At least that was my hope. So I, I get down there and I get all set up and I'm, I'm like, my heart's beating and I'm excited. And so I look and, and this is a really, this is a far shot. This is about 330 yards, the farthest I've ever shot. I was like, I, I don't even know if I should take this, but, but I'm going to go for it. And I try to calm myself down and I get excited. Boom, the gun goes off and they run off. And I'm like, okay, I think I, I, think I missed and so I, I give it a little time. I walk over there and I look around where these deer were and I'm, I'm looking for any indication that maybe I made a shot. And down in the snow, thankfully there was snow, down in the snow I see this tiny, tiny little spot that's kind of red. It's kind of turned orange at this point. And I'm like, I think that's blood. I think that's blood. I think I got a hit. So I wait and I kind of give them some time to kind of go figure out what they're doing. That's what you want to do. Let them lay down and, and, and die. And so I, then I start tracking this deer. And I mean, I spent the next two and a half hours 
hiking around this mountain over a mile and a half, tracking this deer, and I would go, and I would see blood, and I would follow it, and I'd follow it, and then the snow would disappear, and it'd be very difficult, and I'd lose the trail, and then I'd have to come back to where I last knew it, and I would look again, and I'd find it, and I'd go, and finally, I catch up with this deer, and uh, my heart's breaking because I didn't, I definitely did not want to lose this deer. I did not want to shoot a deer, and it go off and suffer and die. The, the point was to get it in my freezer, right? So, uh, I, I finally find this deer, I shoot it, and, and I'm excited, it's like 5, 5.30, the sun's starting to go down, and I field dress this deer, and I realize, like, okay, now it's getting dark, and my original plan was to, to just skin it and quarter it out there and hike it out, but then it's getting dark, and like, this is my first time, and I'm, I'm by myself, and I'm like, you know what, I've, I've got this harness that my brother gave to me, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna drag this deer out. It'd be all right. I'm going to drag it out. So I tie it around the deer. I put this harness on and I start going, right? And I'm just going. And my truck is like a mile and a half from where I shot this deer. And there's some snow, but it's like old snow. So it's kind of crusty, right? It's not like nice and smooth. And this deer weighs about 120 pounds. And I don't know if you've ever drug 120 pounds of dead weight, but it is hard. It is the hardest thing I've ever done. And there were times where I felt like, like I'm, I'm walking and I felt like I was like at this angle, right? Because I'm just leaning into this thing to pull it up a mountain and then down a mountain. And sometimes it would slide and then there was no snow and it would get caught on a branch. And it was just, it took me two hours to hike this mile and a half and get back to the truck. And I'll tell you, the first time I could see my truck, it was about halfway there. I could see it off into the distance and it was just like, hope, hope there's my truck. Right? But the whole time I'm just, I'm getting exhausted. I'm running out of energy and I'm just praying to God. I'm like, God, let me get this back to my truck. There's no, there's just no other option, right? Like I'm not just going to leave this deer. I have to do this. And I'm like, God, if it takes me till, you know, sunrise tomorrow, I will keep walking and keep doing this, but God give me strength. And I'm getting there and I'm getting there. And finally I got to my truck and I realized like, I have to get this thing into the bed of my truck and I have no energy. I'm dead. So I ended up grabbing my ratchet straps from my truck and I hooked them up and I hooked it around this deer and I'm just like, <laughs> finally get it up close enough. I can toss it in and I get in my truck and I just sit and I sat there, I think for like 15 minutes, just trying to gain energy because I was exhausted. I was wiped. It was the hardest thing I'd ever done physically, just dragging this deer through these mountains. And maybe, maybe you kind of know what that's like. Maybe you've done that before where you've just pushed yourself to the limit. Maybe you're here, you're tired. You're tired of your job, or maybe you're tired of politics, or maybe you're tired of COVID, or maybe you're, you're tired of feeling hurt, or you're tired of running away, or you're tired of feeling guilty and ashamed. Maybe you're just tired of everything. Maybe you're just tired of everything. Raise your hand if you felt exhausted in this last week. Yeah, everybody, yeah. Turn to the person next to you and just tell them, you look exhausted. You look exhausted. Now turn to them and tell them, now God will give you strength. Type that in the chat, God will give you strength. Okay, now turn back to that person and tell them, I was just humoring Pastor Jeremy, you look amazing. You look amazing, right, okay? You don't look exhausted at all. You guys look great. Um, there's all kinds of different exhaustion that we have, right? There's this physical exhaustion, like what I experienced, where I just pushed myself to the limit. I was done. There's mental exhaustion that we can go through. Have you ever heard of, like, decision fatigue? I listened to a leadership podcast from uh, Pastor Craig Groeschel, and he talks about good leaders learn to push decisions down into the organization as much as possible. Because if you make too many decisions, decisions, you just get tired 
And by the end of the day, maybe you've experienced this, like the end of the day, you've been making decisions all day from when you started, when you got up, like what am I going to wear all the way through work and everything, and you get home. And that's why we have these arguments of like, or not necessarily arguments, but discussions, right? What are we going to have for dinner? I don't know. I don't know. And I don't want to decide, right? Like, I don't want to make a choice. I'm done making it. Just put food in front of me so I can eat it and I can go to bed and then do it all over, right? We have mental fatigue and exhaustion. We have emotional exhaustion, right? Have you ever been there where you just, you like something, you've been mourning, you've been grieving, you've been crying, and you just, you can't cry anymore? You've gotten to this point where you're just done. You're almost numb. You can't even really feel anymore, right? There's emotional exhaustion. And then there's spiritual exhaustion as well. Right? You've been going hard. You've been, you've been praying. You've been, you know, maybe there's just some, some crisis that's going on and you're praying and you're praying and you just kind of get to that point where you're like, God, I don't, I don't know what else to say and I've been crying out to you and I haven't seen any results and I'm just, I can't anymore. And you're spiritually exhausted. You've been pouring out yourself through prayer and, and, and all of this stuff. And then there's like this added on bonus, right? This long-term exhaustion that we can feel like these marathons, which encompass all four of those, right? You have physical and mental and emotional and spiritual. And it happens for days or weeks or months or even years, much like David King David, who we're going to look at today, who waited 15 to 20 years from when he was anointed by Samuel to become king. He had this this long-term journey that he went through, and he was exhausted at the end of his life. And he wrote this psalm that we're going to look at today. We're going to look at Psalm 18. And I, I like the introduction. I love this. It says, for the director of music... Of David, the servant of the Lord, he sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So this is a song that David wrote, that he sang after he had been delivered from all of his enemies, right? And what's also interesting about this psalm is it shows up in 2 Samuel chapter 22, Almost verbatim. There's, there's slight differences, but it doesn't change the meaning. But this is this psalm. And it's, it's interesting that it's there. It's, it's significant that it's there because in, in the book of First and Second Samuel, we see the rise and fall of King Saul. And we see the rise and, and peak of King David. And we see this, this fall as he sins with Bathsheba. And then we get to the end of his life. And, and the last four chapters, 21 through 24, are kind of this epilogue of David's life. And it, it talks about how he fought giants and, and, and all this. And smack dab right in the middle is this song. This song that he sings. And right after it is like the last words of David. But it's kind of like the end of his life. It's kind of the summation of everything that David has gone through. And he's, he's, he's had to run from Saul. Uh, he lived in caves. He had his son. We, uh, Pastor Reuben talked about this last week. Absalom, who tried to dethrone him. Like all of these things that he went through. And he writes this song that he sings to God. Kind of about everything. After he had been delivered from all of his enemies. And after he'd been delivered from Saul. And it starts out so beautifully. Verse 1. Six words, I love you, Lord, my strength. After everything that David had been through, after his long and exhausting life of running and fighting and chasing and everything, his his first words to God are, I love you, Lord, my strength. Not like it's been really hard, God, and you were there, and I think, but no, he just summed it up all in these six words. I love you, Lord, my strength. 
So strong and deep and rich, and we're going to dig into it, but I want to first jump out from there and look at why David was saying, I love you, Lord, my strength. Why does he call God my strength? Here's the first thing, actually, I want you to hear today. See that God is your strength. Type that in the chat. God is my strength. Tell the person next to you, God is my strength. We're going to jump into this and look. Psalm 18, verse 4, it says, The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. Whew. That's a low place. A low place that David was at. This is, his life felt like he was wrapped up and entangled by everything. I have this, this rope here. I'm going to see if I can figure out how to pull it apart here. Um, and he was entangled by death and calamity and all of this stuff around him. And it's just wrapped up around him and it gets around and he's entangled and he can't move and he's, he's tired and he's exhausted and this rope is just everywhere around him and he's just entangled by death, coiled up, right? Maybe you, maybe you know what this is like, where you have these literal enemies who, who hate you, who, who gossip about you, who want to see destruction for you. I have to be careful. I'm going to trip myself. <laughs> maybe, maybe you've been entangled like that. Maybe you know people are trying to come after you, and you're like, God, I just, I've, I've got all this stuff on me, and I can't do this. Maybe you're, maybe you're caught up, being you're entangled with heartache because of relationships just aren't working for you. You're, you're coiled with all of this stuff all the way around you. Maybe you've got a sin that you've been battling and every day it's just weighing you down and you've, you've got to be careful where you step and you want to make sure you don't trip up. And some days are really good, but most of the time you're just struggling and you're entangled and you're just caught up. Maybe it's your marriage. Your marriage is strained and you feel entangled and caught up. And it goes all the way from how are we supposed to parent to how are we supposed to manage our finances to how are we supposed to put the dishes in the dishwasher? Don't put the cups over there. The cups go over here. And we're entangled and we're caught up in this. And you're exhausted because you're wrapped up and you're trying to walk around and you're trying to do life. And sometimes you try to go out to, with friends, right? And you want to ignore all of that stuff. But it's still there. It's still hanging on you. It's still pulling or maybe you think, you know what, I'm just going to get alone. I'm going to get alone. I'm going to get by myself. But here it is. It's dragging you down. You're entangled in all of life's troubles. You're exhausted. Sometimes you even just try to remove yourself. You're like, can I just get this thing off? And it, it won't come off. And, and you're, just, you're exhausted just trying to deal with it. Have you ever been at that place? King David says, I was entangled. The cords of death encircled me. This is what he's going through. And it starts all with King Saul. We see it in 1 Samuel chapter 18. It says, when the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David killed the Philistine. They're talking about Goliath. After David killed Goliath, they come home. And it says, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. And this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David 
his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this he said? They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. See, Saul became so jealous of David that he began to pursue him. He tried to kill him. He threw a spear at him like three different times in the court, trying to kill him right in front of him. He sent David and and the army off to his house to kill him. He tried to trick him. He's like, here, marry my daughter. But to do that, you have to like go get these hundred foreskins of the Philistines thinking there's no way he's going to do that. And he does. And he gets 200, which is really gross. But he did it anyways. And then he ran. He had to run from Saul. He had to hide in caves and constantly be looking over his shoulder. And he was living in fear. And it was just tiring every single day. For for 20 years, he's running from Saul just for his life. And it's not his fault. God's the one who anointed David. God's the one who called David, gave him this promise Saul's the one who messed up with God and, and, and lost the kingship, right? David had all of this going on in his life. And then even after Saul, he had other enemies. He still had to fight the Philistines and he fought giants, the descendants of Goliath. And he had his son Absalom who tried to, to take over the throne. And so what does David do? I mean, he runs, he tries to save his life, but he's tired, and he's worn out. And he says, he says, all of this has entangled me. He thinks he's at, he feels like he's at death's door, right? And then verse 6, he says, in my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. See, David takes it to the Lord. He cries out to God. He recognizes that he needs God to intervene. He needs God to move because he recognizes that he's weak, that he can't do it on his own. That if he just tries to do it on his own, he will will fail. And, And none of us really wants to admit that we're weak, right? It takes it takes a humble spirit to say, I need help. In fact, this flies right in the face of, of, of really our American culture. Our American culture is like, be the self-made man, the self-made woman. It's all about self-sufficiency and being, being an individual and you can take care of yourself and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And if you can't do it, well, then there's probably something wrong with you. You're probably not trying hard enough or you're probably not smart enough, or you're probably not doing the things that you need to do. You need to, you need to figure it out and do it all by yourself. Don't tell anyone. Hide it. And just try to, try to do it all by yourself. Take care of number one. But David realizes that he needs to go to God. The enemy has perpetrated this lie that you have to be able to handle everything on your own and that weakness means that you're worthless. And that's just not true. Your worth is found in Jesus Christ. See, David learned this secret. It's a life of worship in the highs and in the lows. When you're entangled, there needs to be an act of worship. He cries out to God. 
Hear this, we worship God in our weakness by crying out to him for help. See, we live this life of worship even when we're tired, even when we're worn out, even when we're exhausted and we're entangled by everything. And we worship by crying out to God, to recognizing, to, to, to confessing to God that I need you, that I depend on you, Lord. When you're entangled by the battles of life, when you've been running and pushing and are exhausted and tired, the best thing you can do is cry out to God. Go to church. Go to small group. Be around other believers It's a lie that you have to have it all together before you can even walk in these doors. None of us have it all figured out. The church is full of imperfect people. There are imperfect people here at Thorn Creek Church. (gasps) Yep, that's right. We're all right here. (laughs) All of us, right? There are these imperfect people, but we're trying to do life with God. We're seeking his will and we're crying out to him in our imperfection. We want to be transformed by his grace. But exhaustion can push you away from that. Exhaustion pushes us away from others. Exhaustion pushes us away from worship. And that's the enemy's strategy. See, Satan uses a constant level of pressure to wear us out. He's playing the long game. He uses this pressure, right? Because most of us, we can, we can kind of take a quick impact, Right? Something can change in our life very quickly and we can kind of boom and and then bounce back. Right? But it's this constant pressure that over time makes you tired. Over time, it wears you down. Over time, you just, you, you kind of fall under it and now you're entangled and you're down. And over time, this pressure on you pulls you away from God, pulls you away from worship. I experienced this last week. I know. I'm a pastor. I shouldn't experience exhaustion. I shouldn't experience this thing away from God. But no, it happens. Last week was really busy. We had our worship night, and then we had church, and there was all kinds of other things that I was doing through the week. And Saturday night, I'm in here, and we're worshiping, and I'm just like, God, I'm not, I'm, I don't know what it is. And I'm trying to worship and, and my, my, my initial reaction, my, my thought is like, I just need to kind of like, I just need to get away. Like, or maybe I just need to kind of like fight through this or, or just, you know, just whatever. It's just going to be what it is. But God, God kind of gave me this little whisper. He said, just cry out to me. So thankfully, I, I just, I had the opportunity. I could just go back to my office and I just got on my face. And I said, God, I don't know what's going on, but I know I need you. God, I know I want to worship you, but I don't feel it. I'm tired. God, I need you. And I can't explain it. I don't know how God does it. I don't know how the Holy Spirit works in us. But when you, when you worship God in that place of exhaustion, it's like hooking up to a charger. You know what I mean? It's like, right? And you're, you're charged up and, and something inside of me was just different. And I came out and I came in here and I joined everybody and we worshiped and I listened to an amazing message and God spoke to me and, 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 and the word was, and it was just amazing. And it was all because I chose to worship God in the exhaustion. 
Instead of having a bad attitude or telling everybody to get away from me or just trying to isolate or any of that stuff, it was in my exhaustion that I cried out to God. See, when you worship God, your attention is no longer on the trouble, but on the deliverer. When you worship God, you, it takes your, your mind away from, from all of this that entangles you. It doesn't, doesn't magically make it go away. Like, it's still there. But it feels a little bit less. It weighs a little bit less because you're not thinking about this. You're thinking about your God, your Savior, your Deliverer. And it makes it just a little bit easier to walk around and be entangled. Have you ever noticed that when you don't fo- focus on a problem or an issue, it kind of kind of just kind of doesn't go away, you feel better, right? You're focusing your mind on other things and you don't get as exhausted, as worn out as opposed to just sitting there and thinking about this issue. It made me think of this in John 16, 33. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Well, that stinks. He didn't promise to to pull us out of it. He says, you're going to have trouble. But hear this, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome every trouble and tribulation you're going to go through. Jesus can carry you through whatever you're going through. Jesus can meet you in that lowest of low places, that place where you are just worn out, where you are physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually drained. He can hook you up just like a charger and fill you back up. And look at what David does. David cries out to God and then he lays out these wonderful verses of worship. Verse 25, to the faithful you show yourself faithful, to the blameless you show yourself blameless. To the pure you show yourself pure, but to the devious you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble, but bring low those whose eyes are haughty. You, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. See, David is talking to himself and he's talking to God. He's telling God who God is. He's reminding himself who God is as he talks to God. And he's kind of like giving God this pep talk. He's like, God, this is who you are. I can, I can fight against an army. I can scale a wall because you are with me. You are my God. He says, as for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. His shields, he shields all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except God? God is our rock and our salvation. It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. He gives us strength. God is your strength. He makes my feet like the feet of deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You know, they don't make bows out of metal. There's a reason, because you can't pull it. You can't bend it. But this is our God. Our God will give us the strength that we could pull a bow of bronze. This is who God is. You make your saving help my shield and your right hand sustains me. Your help has made me great. You provide a broad path for my feet so that my ankles do not give way. 
Oh, that's our God. That's our God. He gives us this broad path. He takes care of us. He is for us, not against us. And in our, in our desperation, in our exhaustion, in our times of being tired, we cry out to him and we worship him. We, we remember who he is and what he can do and what he has already done. As I read this, I thought David is kind of at this even when mentality. Right? Our song that our worship team wrote, it's called Even When. And, and just look at these lyrics. It says, even when I'm lost, you bring me home. Even when I fear, you give me, give me what? Strength. Even when I'm far, you run to me. Even when it hurts, you still died for me. That's our God. Even when we're tired and we've got this entanglement of life and all of the struggles and everything that's there, even when that happens, God is faithful. God is full of grace and mercy and he is our strength. And he carries us through as we're entangled and he brings deliverance and he removes our troubles and he, he gives us strength to carry on through. Say it again, God is your strength. God is your strength. Back to Psalm 18, verse 1. I love you, Lord, my strength. Like even in the exhaustion, even through all of the trials that David went through, all of the fights and the battles that he had to go through, his word was, I love you, Lord, my strength. He recognized how he got through it. And it was because of God. And this word love, I'm going to geek out a little bit. This is really, really cool. This word love, the Hebrew word is racham. It means to love, love deeply, have mercy, be compassionate, have tender affection, have compassion. Or to love deeply or be deeply moved. This word is all throughout the Old Testament. One place we see it is when King Solomon was judging between the two women. You remember this story? There's two women, they each have a baby. One dies in the middle of the night. And so they're, 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 they're fighting over whose baby is, is the one that's alive. And so they bring him to King Solomon. And, and, and as he's watching and he, he makes this decision, he says, all right, well, I know how to figure this out. Let's just cut the baby in half. And you each get half of the baby, right? And there's one woman who's like, yep, let's do it. That's fine. She gets half, I get half. The other one is heartbroken. And she falls to her knees and she's crying and weeping and she says, just give the baby away. And Solomon is deeply moved. His heart has this love because he recognizes that the true mother is the one who saves the baby. Who says, I'll, I'll give up my baby to keep him alive. We also see this word love in Isaiah. In chapter 49, verses 14 through 16, it says, Yet Jerusalem says, The Lord has deserted us. The Lord has forgotten us. Israel's thinking that God is just not with them. And then God responds. And in verse 15, it says, Never can a mother forget her nursing child. Can she feel no love, no racham? for the child she has born. But even if that were possible, 
I would not forget you. See, I have written your name on the palms of my hands. Always in my mind is a picture of Jerusalem's walls and ruins. God loves us like a mother loves her child. The, the real root of this word, racham, is womb. It's this, it's this, this, this parent love. And everywhere else in the Bible that we see this word, it talks about God's love and his compassion and his deep love for mankind. God introduces himself. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm compassionate and slow to anger. It's that same word, racham. And he talks about his compassion for all of his people, for Israel. He heard them crying out from, from Egypt and he, and he has compassion. He has racham for them. But check out this quote from David Legg. It says, it is one of the most tender of words for affection. And in fact, this word is nowhere else used in the scriptures in relation to man's love toward God. It's only ever used to express the great, deep, wide, broad, infinite love that God has toward men. David flips the script and says, God, I have racham for you. In my exhaustion, in my troubles, while I'm entangled, God, I love you so much. So much that God, I will call you my strength. I love you, Lord, my strength. After running away from Saul, after fighting enemies, after fighting giants, after going through sin with Bathsheba, after everything, David's at the end of his life and he's exhausted and he's tired and he loves God. I like how Charles Spurgeon said it. He said, with strong, hearty affection will I cling to thee as a child to its parent or a spouse to her husband. The word is intensely forcible. The love is of the deepest kind. I will love heartily with my inmost bowels. Oof. Have you ever talked to somebody about your love from them from your bowels? I mean, that's deep, right? That's deep, deep love. Here is a fixed resolution to abide in the nearest and most intimate union with the Most High. Verse 1, I love you, Lord, my strength. Verse 2, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved by my enemies. From my enemies, sorry. There's these nine titles that David gives for God. He says, God is my strength. The one who empowered him to survive, to make it through all of those battles and to defeat his enemies. He says, God is my rock, which indicates a place of, of shelter and security and safety and, and, and strong, uh, stable place to stand, right? Like he could be in this rock, like these, these, these crags where you, you're out of the weather. God can protect you from all of that or you, you can have firm stand on this, this solid rock and, and you won't move. That's who, who God is to David. He says, God is my fortress, 
a fortress, a place of strength and safety. He says, God is my deliverer, the one who made a way of escape for me. He says, you are my God, my number one. There's nothing higher than you. There's nothing I will put before you, but you are my, my God and my rock again. But this, this is a, there's the idea behind this version of rock, this word, is that he's a fountain. He is the source of the strength. Not just safety and, and, and a firm footing, but he is the source of everything. And he says, God is my shield who defends both my head and my heart. God is my horn of salvation. They use the word horn to to represent strength, like the horn of a bull, right? Like a 2,000 plus pound bull. How many of you want to be bull riders, right? Not me. I don't want to get in there. That thing is strong, right? It'll tear you up. But God is our horn of salvation, our strength and our defense. And then his last one is, God, you are my stronghold. Other versions say tall tower. You know what a stronghold is? When, when, there's a, when there's a castle or a fortress, in the middle of that fortress is the stronghold. It's the place that they've built up. They've made it super strong. Like it has like many feet thick walls and it's where they store weapons and they store food. And it's the last place in case there's a, there's a battle and there's people coming in and they're destroying the city. You can go to the stronghold and you will be safe and secure. And that's who God is. David says, in the, in the midst of my exhaustion, in the midst of my entanglement, in the midst of my, my tiredness and, and everything that's gone on, God, you are my strength, my stronghold. When you're exhausted, remember where your strength comes from. It doesn't come from yourself. It doesn't come from your spouse. It doesn't come from your kids or your job or anything else. It comes from the Lord. We are to turn in worship to God. Even even at our lowest, even when we're entangled, we turn to God in worship. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are our strength. Jesus, you're so strong that you went to the cross for us. Just as it said in John 16, you you have overcome the world. And you give us peace. And so God, we come before you today and we worship you and we thank you And even when we're entangled, even when we're exhausted, even when we're tired, even when we're worn out, God, even when everything has gotten the best of us, God, we know that you are our strength and so we love you. And maybe you're here tonight and you haven't ever made that decision. You haven't made that decision to follow Jesus, to put your faith in him and and gain his strength. You can do that right now. Just say this prayer, Jesus, I love you. I racham you. I give my life to you. You can have everything. Would you carry me through everything I'm going through? God, you are so good. I'm just blown away 
at how you carry us through everything. We love you, God. We love you so much and we worship you and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.